This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. David, welcome to Motherfuck Lore, at the Irish for Podcast, brought to you by the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm Derek, I'm joined today by Garajean McAvoy, who's co presenter with me. And our special guest today is Neil Irene. Steve. You might know Neil best as the uh, man behind Untornbot on Twitter, one of my favorite um, Twitter um, automated Twitter accounts, which basically tweets the Untorn line by line. But as well as that, in his day job as a computer programmer and an Irish language enthusiast, has developed a computer coding language in Irish called Aravon. And we're going to be talking all these things today. You're very welcome to Mother Folklore. Thanks very much for having me. So tell us now, just to tell us a bit about yourself and your how you got your interest in Irish and computing and did these things ever fight each other in your head when you're growing up? <laughs> so um, I suppose I've had an interest in Irish from a very young age. I'm from Carlow originally and went to the, there's a big Gwell school and a big Gwell college down Carlow and I think a, a pretty strong Irish language scene there. Excellent. Um, so I went to that Gwell school and that Gwell college and when I moved up here to Trinity was part of the the Shkame Kona in, in the college, so I was lucky enough to be surrounded by lots of nice people and spoke lots of nice Irish. Fantastic. Um, and during my time there, I also was, of course, studying. I did an undergrad degree in theoretical physics and then a PhD in astrophysics. So I did an awful lot of computer programming and that was kind of my primary my primary interest for a long time. Um, I've since now moved out of the country, so I, I do a lot more computer programming and a lot less speaking Irish. So <laughs> things like Antonbot and Auravon seemed like a, a fun hobby to have. Fantastic. And you live in London now, is it? I do, yeah. I'm located over there for the last two years now. And there's a decent enough Irish community there these days. Uh, people, young people having having to move over, unfortunately, but do they bump into each other much? From time to time, I've run across a couple of Irish speakers over there, all right, but I can't say I'd be a particularly active member of the Irish community over there, unfortunately. Well, hopefully, hopefully you have a pop-up Celtic there soon. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all... Um, Antonbot is hugely popular for an account that doesn't interact with anybody or answer any questions. It's just fantastic. I love it. Um, do you want to tell us about how you started on that and why that one and why do you think it's it's connected with so many people? I'm, to be honest, surprised that so many people have enjoyed it as much as they have. I thought it was just a fun, a funny thing to do. Um, but it's become so substantially more popular than I am on Twitter, for instance. <laughs> it's, got, it's got a pretty solid following there and uh, gets an awful lot of interactions. So, I mean... The Ton is a, a wonderful thing, a wonderful piece of our heritage, a really beautiful mm. story and uh, full of also just incredibly weird and somewhat cumbersome phrases that have been translated into English from Irish. Uh, try seven bondmates. Try seven bondmates crop up an awful lot in there. 
Um, so it was just something that I've always, always really liked. I mean, from childhood, it's a, it's a wonderful story. And uh, and I came across the text of the translation from the 20s, which is now thankfully in the public domain, and decided mm-hmm. this would be a, a funny thing to put up there. There are an awful lot of comparable uh, comparable bots out there, but very yeah. few for Irish-specific things, I think. It's really great. I love it. You should definitely introduce yourself as, first, the guy behind the thumb, but <laughs> secondly, because, yeah, it's Put amazing. I love card. it. <laughs> so, Neil, if you wouldn't mind just giving, for some of us, might not be, like, understand fully what Anthon is or where it comes from. Just maybe like Anthon bot is like one of my favourite Twitter accounts. I love it. <laughs> I was starstruck when we met this morning. Um, <laughs> but if you just give us maybe a background into like what Anthon is and the significance of it and, and why you thought that particularly that one was the one to to botify. So Anthon is a very old story and I want I preface this by saying I'm not a historian. Uh, I'm a fan of the Tawn as a fan rather than as a person who's got <laughs> deep academic knowledge about it. Um, but yeah, it's a, a very old, I guess, druidic story that probably goes back to God knows. I mean, as a, as a written work, I think it goes back to like 700 AD and sure. it's probably around in the tradition for a long time before that. And it kind of takes a story about a woman who wants to steal a bull uh, and the men who want to stop her. And uh, the various <laughs> foibles and kind of mythical things that they come across along the way. Uh, and the reason that I, I mean, it's obviously a hugely influential thing in Irish culture. Cúchulainn is one of the, you know, big archetype heroes in Irish culture. Maeve is very well known. Um, Cúchulainn is on the GPO out there. His the end of the town finishes, yeah. spoilers, with Cúchulainn being killed in a particularly grisly way. And it's commemorated in the big statue outside the GPO. There's a horse lift album named the town. You know, it's it's a thing that <laughs> mm. that's had a big influence on Irish culture and a thing that I really like. And there's something really cool and, and I think kind of fun about the idea of taking a thing that has a long literary tradition and then a long oral tradition before that, reaching back into druidic, you know, prehistory and putting it on Twitter next to tweets about the news and about celebrity culture. I think there's something really nice about that, about keeping it alive through a new... Uh, a new medium and giving people a new way of interacting with it and it does make for some really lovely quote tweets then as well because it's super weird. Yeah, that's <laughs> true and I think maybe one of the, the key identifiers of how significant it is in Irish culture is how popular it is on Twitter. I mean, people who don't know or maybe have never read the thon just know vaguely what it's about but follow it on Twitter and love it. It's it's so amenable to Twitter. It just fits so well with, with a, a modern uh, you know tool that we have. Yeah, it's... Very strange that it does. I really didn't expect that to be the case. <laughs> Again, this is just like a thing I put together over a weekend as a little hobby project. And it's, yeah, I say far more popular than I am on Twitter. It seems people really, really it's like <laughs> Frankenstein's monster, but Frankenstein <laughs> made the monster and people decided they liked the monster more than Frankenstein. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about it. I, like the tone would be an amazing Netflix show. I would watch that. It would make like, for if some... If Netflix are listening, guys, pick it up. <laughs> It would make for excellent television. It's very yeah. Game of Thrones in parts. Yeah, all, right? a little bit, right? <laughs> One of the things I think that people really love about Anton Bot is it's it's ideal for quote tweeting. It certainly is. Now it comes up with some really catchy little phrases. Cucullin <laughs> 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 got up for some weird, weird things. <laughs> it's so funny because it's Cucullin. I mean, we have this image, I suppose, of just this ancient action hero, but then also he's like he has often very strange opinions and things. He's got his odd mates. <laughs> leg, his buddy, druid buddy, leg is just such a, a condescending know-it-all. And, <laughs> and then obviously, and Cucullin's always looking for somewhere to, you know. Um, to put a spear and I think one of my favourite <laughs> just quotes out of context is when Cuckoo maddened by thirst begged her for a milking and he's, just, he's talking to like just a milkmaid who's milking a cow but sure like, he is yeah, yeah sure <laughs> maddened by thirst 
And of course, Maeve is a marvelous character. She's Maeve is Maeve hold, I, doesn't pull her punches, she's, and she's so I guess she she's such, she would be such a welcome presence in Ireland now if she came back. I think just she's so I mean, she knows exactly what she wants, and she isn't worried about what anyone thinks of her. Yeah, no, she's a, a marvelous a kind of a marvelous literary archetype, isn't she? And the mm. Morrigan then as well, which is just just as weird as they come in <laughs> historical like um, fiction. I think is a very unusual thing what is the mm. mark <laughs> yeah that's the thing you even get an exact answer why it is and there's so many different interpretations so the actual text you use isn't the Kinsella translation it's uh, an earlier one it's not it's an earlier translation the name of the translator eludes me at the moment I should know that but um, yeah it's, it's one from the from the 20s which is now thankfully out there in the in the public domain uh, I think the Kinsella one is probably a little bit better it's the one I'm more familiar with it's the mm-hmm. one I've actually read myself but uh, but it's it's still under copyright, so I decided to err on the side of caution there. I think you're probably right. Because <laughs> Karen Carson did a translation as well, but I think it was very, I mean, I think he tried to translate into a uh, northern Irish dialect of English and it works in parts, but not so much in others. Yeah, it can, it's a difficult thing to translate. I think there are passages of it that are just kind of weird, that are just listing unusual things and are difficult to find poetry. In, so. <laughs> I was looking over here at some of the, the most popular or most well-responded to Antoine Bot tweets. And one of the top ones is, just when it's taken out of context, any context is great. It happened. He knew by the man's speech that he was a fool. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. So this one is obviously just after a, a football game. And it's just shame and reproach to Ulster. <laughs> I think it's just wonderful when they're just taken out of context. They can be wonderful. And they are in a bog as a witness ever since. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty ominous. Yeah. Till their dead be more in number than their living. Wow. That's very good. That's a really good. That's a creepy one. <laughs> Tawn, Tawn is dark AF. I'm telling you, this is Netflix gold. <laughs> for and I go not, the troth of men will be held for false and their promises of women held for true. I don't even know what that means. What, what does that mean? <laughs> it means I like it though. Men are, men are Egypts and women are going to rule the world. <laughs> oh, if only. <laughs> he heard something, a rush and a din and a hurtling sound, a noise of thunder, tumult and turmoil. But I think these, um, any of the ones that involve Kukon actually killing your man's dog, killing Colin's dog with a hurley, uh, will tend to be very popular, the, the small ones. And he was a big-nosed, large-eared, apple-eyed, red-limbed, grape-bellied, thick-lipped man. That's very nice. One of the nice things about it, I think, I don't know if it's particular to this translation. I, I've read the Kinsella one, but not this one. And I, I don't remember it being so prominent in the Kinsella one. But I think translating it from Irish to English lends itself to making really weird compound words that are yes. totally not something you think of if you're using the English language. Especially so. Um, and I think, I think that especially when you're translating from Old Irish rather than Modern Irish, yeah. you actually did have what they call kennings. Where they say you find this in Beowulf, where they refer to the river, river as the Swan Road and the sea as the Whale Road. Wow. Oh, that's beautiful! That's really nice. It's that's really beautiful. Swan Road, I like that. And I think yeah, there's a few of those in um, there's a few of those kennings in Old Irish as well. They refer to the sea as the Fisherman's Garden. Oh, that's so sweet. That's very nice. It's beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, it's an Old Irish script. We're going to have um, hopefully one or two episodes just you know on um, greatest hits of Old Irish. <laughs> The top 40. Thereafter, Cúcullin went his way to tr- to his triest with the women. Cúcullin was he a, did that a, lot. He's a pup. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> he was an absolute pup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the word we'd use to describe him nowadays is a uh, fuckboy. <laughs> We've been working on coming up with a suitable Irish word for fuckboy. Are we going to use an existing term or are we going to find compounds of uh, uh, buckle fuckle or... <laughs> 
something like that. But this it's is a, now my life's mission to translate <laughs> fuckboy. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't wait until until a day that Sharma Dolly announced that they have this new one going up. And now, so I'm going to ask to talk a little bit about coding sometimes and I guess computer languages in general, because obviously you have this interest in Irish and you also have an interest in the various computer languages. Um, a lot of people sometimes when they're talking in an odd moment about ed- Irish education, they talk about coding. And I often reminded of the scene in The Graduate when someone walks up to Dustin Hoffman and says, plastics, he has career advice. And now, a lot of people who talk about coding don't know what they're talking about, particularly politicians in education. Can you just give us a general idea of what computer languages are and what coders actually do all day? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, computer programming languages are a way for you to, I guess, formalize your thoughts in a way that can be communicated with a machine that is extremely and unflinchingly literal. It will just do exactly what you tell it, and Mm -hmm. that's all it knows how to do. Uh, So in order to get it to do something useful, you need to be able to say what you want to do in in an explicit formalism. Uh, So programming languages provide you a way of doing that. Isn't there a part of ironic punishment in there sometimes (laughs) that you actually think, well, I I assumed you understood what I meant by this. Yeah, we've built this beautiful, complicated machine and now we have to bend ourselves to its will to make ourselves understood (laughs) by it. Um, A little bit, yeah. And we have Mm. to do things that I think are, like, programming is so weird and abstract and gets so complex and you're dealing with a big code base Mm. that it's almost at the limit of what the mind is able to take in all at once. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, you know, force ourselves to play this weird game with this machine that's a lot better at it than we are and punishes <laughs> our every mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there are a huge number of programming languages out there. There are, I guess, probably eight to 10,000 of them. Uh, okay. A very large number. And they all are at some theoretical level the same. Um, there is a, a property called completeness that programming languages have if they meet a set of fairly basic criteria, mm-hmm. basic but practically not possible. But if they meet these criteria, they are um, they are all the same after that. Any problem that can be solved with a computer can be solved in that language. Okay. Um, so there are very many. They're all technically the same, but they're all useful for different things. Uh, okay. So some of the very popular languages now are you know, things like, I guess, Python, We probably the most popular, mm-hmm. uh, most commonly used language for lots of applications. Things like C are very old and go back to the, the mid-60s and mm-hmm. uh, have a long history and kind of, support an awful lot of the architecture that modern computers are built on. And they just all have different different strengths and weaknesses. Some are quicker than others for certain types of jobs. Some are more flexible than others for other kinds of applications. Okay. And now I did a two-day course in HTML a couple of years back. So, you know, I'm a bit of an expert in this. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. But one thing I discovered, I suppose, when I was learning HTML was that if you went into yeah, a, a French website like, like Le Monde or a German one like Der Spiegel, or, and you actually went up and looked at the, the actual code, if you went up into the, the, the menu and, and you looked at the actual HTML behind the actual website, and it was all written in English, even if the website was was French or German. Yes. Like, so the words kind of head, body, HTML, these things, green, would come up. And you know, Yeah, so as I said, you have this kind of explicit formalism, and it was sort of decided because in the mid-20th century, science became a monodlot endeavor that was done primarily in you know, Western countries in the American mm. empire is uh, steadfastly English speaking. So English became the language that programming languages were written in, even though the vast majority of scientific work and even the vast majority of programming languages are developed in place where English is a second language. Mm-hmm. The, the language I mentioned earlier, Python, was developed in the Netherlands. Oh. Um, Ruby is a very popular language developed in Japan. Um, yeah, an awful lot of this work is done in places where English is a lingua franca and not actually their, their first language. Um, but yeah, 
the form was kind of decided at some point or, or happened by chance, I guess, that, uh, that the formalism that we express ourselves in, uh, the, the primitives that we use in programming are all based around the English language. Hmm. Some of the very common ones would be, I mean, almost all languages will have some form of a for loop. Uh, you just say for, uh, a while loop, do this while this is the case. And that, that oh. keyword is literally in there. Uh, if you wanted to introduce some kind of uh, logic into the system, you'd say, if this is the case, then do this, else do that. And all those words that I carefully stress there <laughs> will be in the language literally in English. Um, and as I said, that's as a result of of the kind of dominance of English as the scientific, the global scientific language now. And just on that, I was just wondering, maybe it's beyond your scope, is that kind of maybe, do you think, like holding back other countries that potentially English isn't as common a lingua franca, um, that maybe there is potential there? Or is there a move maybe away from English being this dominant global? It's a very, very interesting question and one okay. that I'm I'm only, in, you know, only uh, qualified to speak about as, a, as an interested amateur. I'm not a historian or a philosopher <laughs> of science, but yeah. I think we're in a unique historical moment now in that English is completely dominant. It's 90-odd percent of papers are printed in English, scientific journal articles. The 50 biggest scientific journals in the world are all English language journals. Um, and that's very unusual up until we're in the first generation of scientists who've been raised in that regime, really. Uh, up until before the Second World War, German was, if not the, la- the dominant language, at least comparable with English. A lot of mm-hmm. the early work in quantum mechanics was done in the German language by Einstein and Max Planck and Niels Bohr. Um, so before that, we had also French, been the language of chemistry, and you know, Linnaeus wrote a lot of his work in French and stuff like that. So we're, it's an unusual time that we're in now, uh, and it's as a result of the, sort of the kind of steadfastly English-speaking nature of America. This kind of this stumbles upon one of the things that one of my favorite piece of science fiction writing ever is uh, it's by a guy called Paul Anderson. It's called Uncleftish Beholding. I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but basically he took basic atomic theory first year chemistry about atoms and stuff and he wrote it in a version of English as if no Latin or Greek words ever entered the English language wow. as if basically it was written but using Anglo-Saxon tech terms so the phrase an uncleft is something that can't be cut it's an atom and beholding is actually a word for theory and he took it based on he took the word theory from its Greek and roots as, as coming to the theatre a place where people go to understand things together where things are beheld and he looked at the words for each um for each element, like hydrogen, oxygen, you, you can name them as they would be if using Anglo-Saxon tropes like sour stuff for oxygen, water stuff for hydrogen, fire stuff as one. Then the um, coal stuff for carbon was one of the ones. And when you're just reading it, and Emir stuff was what they had for uranium because he, he found the equivalent god in Norse to to Uranus. And what really got me is that sometimes when people translate Irish scientific terms into Irish, they, they look so similar to the English word. Mm-hmm. And it almost makes Irish, the Irish scientific terminology look very contrived. But the English one is contrived too. It comes from Latin. Yeah, no, that is the case. I think as the only other time that we had kind of a comparable global language of science was when it was it was Latin. Uh, but that sure. was shared by a bunch of people who were using it as a second language. Newton mm-hmm. spoke, I guess, English in his day-to-day life, something we would recognize as English. But he wrote all his work, or the vast majority of it, in in Latin, as did the guys in uh, the Arabian Peninsula when they were doing their tremendous work in algebra. They were using this foreign lingua franca to express because it was considered a neutral language for exchange.
we were looking at, I suppose, the monoglot phenomenon in coding and science in general now, but you've taken a stand against this with <laughs> Aravon. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, book the trend there with, with Aravon. So it, as far as I know, there aren't any other programming languages out there in Irish. There are a couple in, in other major European languages, um, not ones that are really commonly used, but things were developed in the 70s and 80s. Uh, funnily enough, when I put together Aravon, I realized that there was another non-English uh, programming language out there already called Fuckle. No uh, way. By total coincidence. It's an English language abbreviation for something that ends with, I think, algebraic language. I can't remember. Oh my God, that's amazing. Uh, but it's already gone. F-O-C-A-L <laughs> is already taken as a programming language uh, name. Uh, and it was, I think, it was developed in English and then translated into maybe German and French back in the in the kind of spirit of European cooperation when that was still a thing we had. Um, and there are a couple of other languages out there that we that we see similarly uh, that are kind of developed in French or in German, but they're primarily as like teaching tools. Um, I know one, for instance, there's C as in Spanish for yes, mm -hmm. which is a C, a version of the language C, uh, the capital letter C oh. <laughs> in <laughs> Spanish, which I think is used as a teaching tool there. But primarily that's what their application is, not really as a as actual languages that people would, would work with daily. Uh, we're back to, again, English just being the, the mm. language that it's done in. So, and so tell me now, in terms of if I was going to use Aravon now, what could I use it for? So it is, I think, as the name the name suggests, Aravon is Irish for calculator, and it is pretty much just a calculator. Um, it has that property of completeness, but it isn't a language that provides any kind of graphical output or anything like that. It's a language you can do calculation in. Mm -hmm. um, so it's based on some older languages like uh, Scheme and Lisp, which for any technical people out there, I think, will realize uh, what the limitations of the language would be. They're pretty much the same as the ones that Scheme and Lisp would have. Uh, but they yeah, provide functionality for doing any kind of arbitrary calculation you might want to do. Fantastic. And but there are, and you'd, you'd see that there would be a potential in future to have other other Irish Irish based coding coding languages which could be used for graphics or things like that. Or... Yeah, I mean I've always thought that we don't need to I mean what I did there was kind of just a, a fun thing to do at a hobby a hobbyist activity really to put mm -hmm. this thing together. But there is scope to build uh, things that will interface with already existing programming languages, but provide um, native language functionality. Uh, so having kind of what we call a developer environment, you know, a piece of software that you run that allows you to write code and that allows you to do it in a way that sort of hides the English language part, obfuscates all of that and gives you a natural language or a native language uh, interface to work with. There must be huge security advantages to having uh, some of the code of a website written in a minority language. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one's going to be able to hack into you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, nice way to obfuscate what you're trying to do. All right. What do you think of the actual Irish language websites as a, as a, as a coder? What's your opinion of things like Terma.e, Tangle.e, Fuckler.e, um, in terms of how they're how they're well they're constructed or accessible they are? Oh, they're and I think absolutely amazing resource uh, and. It boggles my mind the amount of work that goes into Irish language translation and making that stuff accessible and amenable to people is is wonderful. Um, so, I mean, in particular, I'm always, I always really enjoy going to Terma with a, a somewhat obscure, maybe technical term and finding that someone else has had that thought already and has put it into the Irish language. <laughs> uh, to give you one example that came about when I was putting Aravon together, it supports a really, I think, kind of weird property called tail recursion that you could go half your life in writing code and not come across. And I said, like, what would I call Taylor recursion? How will I refer to this in the language? And I stuck it into Terma and it's on there. And it's it's Akursal era, as in as in an arable, as in a tail, and as in recycling, because recycling is kind of like recursion, I guess. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> so I think it's a really nice phrase. And it's nice that someone else has already thought about that out there. There's, you know, I have a friend out there somewhere that I just haven't met yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, and one thing I find that compared to, say, other government websites, 
like when I'm on Changlin.ie, Tremor.ie, the actual uh, things are linked really well to each other. If you compare it to say, say, um, sites looking for like things like planning applications or, or various actual or various um, entitlements a person might have, that it's actually very hard sometimes to find that information. And sometimes you're almost better off searching in Google and get to actually get to the part of the website rather than within the website itself. It's so nicely streamlined and the actual, and it's linked to sound files really well. Yeah, no, that's true. It's it's a really wonderful resource and I, it's a huge amount of work going in there by those guys. They're doing some, some really great stuff. And so, so when I was actually again learning HTML those years ago, and obviously in HTML you have tags and where basically there's pairs of terms and one was the beginning terms head, head or body and the second one is uh, backslash head or body. And I, I used to refer to those backslash as a shavus because I kept on thinking the second term was the Tischelgenendach of the first one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice application of like the, the way that a minority language changes the way you think about these things that we maybe are stuck in patterns of thought around the English language being the one that we used to do this in. But there's yeah, certainly funny little <laughs> ways that you can think about it by putting that native spin on it. Neil, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we can follow you on Twitter on... Uh, I'm Neil underscore O underscore R. Great stuff. And more famously known as? Antonbot. And if somebody wants to use Aravon, where can they find it? It's on um, GitHub. For any technical people out there, you'll find it on my, my GitHub repository, which is also Neil underscore O underscore R. And if you feel like uh, forking it and having a go at making it a little bit better, it'd be more than welcome. Uh, I'm giving a talk about it next month at PyCon here in Dublin for anyone who's technically minded and keen to come along. Excellent. What date is that? It is the, I think, the 22nd of October. Fantastic. Neil, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So it's a slant for me. A slant for me. And a slant for me. See you next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please do like and subscribe and rate it on iTunes or wherever you do get your podcasts so that we can continue to bring it to more people. If you enjoy this podcast, you might find there are other podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. May I recommend, for example, Dublin Podcast or Bookish and many others. If you'd like to support the continuing work of Headstuff, please do consider supporting Headstuff on Patreon. We look forward to hearing you next time. Uh, thanks again to Brian for producing the show and Kirsten Shield for doing the podcast artwork. Slán. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. When I say basically, if you want to support Mother Folklore and Headstuff in general, you can go to Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> it's just somebody say it and I can try and copy what they say.